Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. And uh, today we're going to be talking, actually this week and next week, we're going to be talking about how to improve your producti productivity so you can write, um, edit, and publish more books, uh, because that's pretty much the easiest way to increase your income, and it's a good way to control how much you make as well. Um, one thing though that we wanted to say up front, it's not an automatic increase to your income, but it lets you do like different types of strategies and, ta and tactics to grow your backlist more quickly, like rapid release and things like that. Uh, because having different series and everything that you can alternate series um, sells on makes it a lot easier for you to make money and for people to find you. Um, before we get into the episode, do um, Joe, let's see, I know I've got updates. I know Lindsay has something she wants to share, but Joe, why don't you go ahead and give your updates? Um, just two small updates. Uh, uh, it's almost November as we record this, so um, as we release it. So uh, National Novel Writing Month is coming up, which I believe is going to be mentioned a little bit. Uh, I'm preparing for that, which means I am. I asked the fans and they wanted me to write. I, I already said I was going to write book six of the next three of, of my main three series. So I'll be writing book six of the Book of Deacon next. And I'm outlining that right now. And we're going to be talking about outlining over the course of this entire process. So that's, that's my main thing right now. And also, I have been messing with bookbub ads ever since i ever since the uh, uh the florida trip and i had a couple of like i've been doing the author testing where you do comp authors and see which ones score highest when you do test ads and i finally got one or two authors up into the 2.75 click-through rate which is roughly what i was aiming for i'm actually supposed to aim higher because i'm testing it on a free book so the free books yeah. point is i'm starting to make progress in that and i think by the time i have a new a new release i might have a, a bookbub campaign in place I'll be able to use for uh, for pushing a release. So those are my two things. Awesome. Um, my updates are my big book launch for Shadow Prophet is finally over. Oh my gosh, that was a pain in the butt. I'm so never doing a book launch that big again. <laughs> it's like I usually do big promotions later on after books been out for a while. Um, Anyway, let's see. So there's that. I'm going to Dean Wesley Smith's Business Masterclass this week. Looking forward to hanging out with other authors. And also last, the yeah, the NaNoWriMo bundle I'm in. It's called storybundle.com forward slash nano. And that one was curated by Kevin J. Anderson. And I'm sure a bunch of our listeners, I've already had a couple people say they've, they've already heard about it. Uh, but it has, uh, let's see, Dean, S Dean Wesley Smith has a book in it. Christine Catherine Rush, Joanna Penn, David Farland, Kevin J. Anderson. Uh, Chris Fox. I can't remember who else, but it's a big one. So go and grab a copy while it is available. And that's at storybundle.com forward slash nano. And Lindsay, your turn. And she's going to give some other stuff too, not just updates, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you my news here. And then before we uh, jump into productivity to kind of whet your appetite on like why it's really good to write a lot of books and get a backlist. I, uh, I was poking around on the Kalytics site. Um, we talked about Alex Newton did a presentation at uh, NINC, and I've uh, been a subscriber there for a while. And I found he had a bunch of charts where um, it shows kind of like what it takes to make 100,000 in KDP royalties in a year. And since um, we, we kind of vaguely talked about what does it take to make six figures in one of the early shows, I thought it'd be fun to actually share some specific numbers. He's, he's done the math. And I just picked out a few. I'm, you know, you have to subscribe if you want all the content. But uh, he, he's got some good stuff in there. Um, as far as my personal news, 
uh, I think I'm, I might have mentioned I sent my giant uh, Space Opera novel off to my editor, and I've outlined book seven. I'm going to break my own rules here with the end of this series and start writing the next series before I finished it. Um, I've actually 60,000 words into book one of, uh, I'm going to try urban fantasy next year in 2020, which will be kind of a, a new thing for me. And I'm, uh, I'm a little daunted because I, I don't have a fan base in that. I know a lot of my epic fantasy readers also read like Ilana Andrews and some of those guys. So hopefully they'll cross over. Uh, it's just that I had the idea for the character and it's been kicking around in my head. And I was like, this character really only works in a modern setting. So um, but yeah, I needed kind of a brain break, one POV, simple stories. So I'm writing the first couple of those, and then I'm going to go send those off to my editor and go back and write book seven of the space opera. And there'll probably be eight books in that series, but they're just gotten so big that I feel like I need this sort of, I guess brain candy is kind of how it feels doing just one POV right now. It's like, whoa, this is, this is so uncomplicated. Not that I can't find ways to complicate it, but you know how that goes. All right, uh, so let me read these numbers for you, um, kind of before we dive in. And I just want to emphasize that we're going to be talking about productivity and getting more books out. We're not proponents of just putting out junk or, you know, like sacrificing anything in order to get a lot of books out. So we're really going to try to emphasize how just how to get a little more productive without sacrificing quality. And And you may find that as we have that you actually tend to write better stories when you get them done quickly and you're not uh, like everything's still in your head, but we'll go into that a little bit more. Um, so these, these numbers are from uh, Kalytics and he picked, let's see, I just wanted to warn the royalty numbers are based on observed correlations between Amazon sales rank and number of copies sold copies of tracked book titles. These are in U S dollars and only estimates. And the warning is because uh, sales rank, like each day to say maintain 5,000 sales ranking, it's going to be a little different. There's variation from different times of the month. It just depends on how all the other stores in Amazon, all the other stores, all the other books in Amazon are selling. So these are estimates. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of authors that have chimed in uh, for these. There's several of these kind of look at the sales ranking and that's how many books a day are being sold charts out there. And it's based from kind of early days. A lot of authors were just you know, email these guys and say like, hey, I've been maintaining a 300 sales ranking in, on Amazon and this is how many titles I'm moving a day. Uh, also too, this does not factor in Kindle Unlimited, which uh, is just straight sales. So just assume that. But um, so if you have one ebook priced at $4.99 and averaging a 1,000 sales ranking in the Kindle store on Amazon for a year, that will earn you 123,300 in royalties. And I, I thought that was interesting because I usually say you're not going to, it's not going to happen on one book alone, but theoretically it could. Uh, it's not easy to maintain a thousand sales ranking over the entire year. You know, in most cases you'll maybe peak higher and then and drop lower or actually the opposite, peak lower and <laughs> drop higher in, in the sales ranking. Uh, so if you have five eBooks priced at $4.99 and averaging a 5,000 sales ranking in the Amazon store for a year, that will earn you 169,000 in royalties. So 5,000 sales ranking, a little easier to possibly maintain. If you have five eBooks priced at nine, or excuse me, 99 cents with only earning the 35% royalty, you'd need to maintain a 500 ranking overall in the store, all five of those books to, uh, get 106,700 in royalties. So obviously a lot higher at 99, harder at 99 cents, you have to move a lot more copies. Um, and then I was amused, he went all the way up to like 40 and 80. 
So if you have 80 ebooks out priced at $4.99, you only need to maintain a ranking of 75,000 throughout the year with the books in the Amazon store to earn 107,600. And FYI, that's probably a book, a, day, a sale a day for each book or less. So I just thought that was interesting because it's a really hard to do with just a few books, but the more books you have out, you know, the fewer sales of each title you need. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I'm going to pass it back over to Andrea to lead us into the productivity stuff. But did that, I don't know, was that interesting to you at all? Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. And at first I was a little confused because like this didn't jive quite with my uh, experiences when I was running six figures and paying close attention to my uh, my rankings. But then I realized this is specifically for Amazon and, and I, my in earnings was wide. So I was I was running a lot lower on Amazon, but it was still hitting six figures because I was getting income from the other places. But uh, yeah, like adjusted for that, this seems pretty accurate to my experience and also kind of encouraging considering as time goes on, I'm going to get more and more books so I can maintain a lower, lower uh, average ranking and still keep myself in the black. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that. 80 eBooks. I mean, a sell a day, pretty much anyone can do a sell a day. And the good thing about that is if you have 80 books out there, you're going to be getting more than a sell a day because by that point you've got to, you've figured out, you know, what the market wants and how to get people to download and things like that. So uh, I love that kind of information, which Lindsay, which newsletter was that in? Cause I'm subscribed and I didn't see it. It's actually just one of those bonus kind of things. If you are a member of Kalytics, I, I think it's, $30, $40 a month. I'm not sure. He runs sales every now and then too. Um, it's just, he's got like a bunch of bonus content up there. I was just poking around, you know, I'm looking at the urban fantasy report because I'm like, oh geez, I got to figure out if I can, where I can put my book and it's not super competitive. FYI, there was no place. It's all super competitive in urban <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> it is. And sadly, it's my favorite genre to write. Um, Let's see. I know that I know that it's like a hundred dollars, ninety nine dollars for a monthly subscription. If you don't find, if you don't get a discount coupon or something like that, so I'm going to be watching for discount coupons because I was subscribed for a little while, but I didn't use them, didn't use it often enough to you know justify every single month. Yeah, we'll have to probably get him on the show at some point, and he'll probably give us like a here's a code, you know. And there's different levels too. I think that's the most elite level is like ninety nine a year. Um, but yeah, well, uh, I'm sure he'll come on and be happy to give us a whole bunch of cool information too. Uh, and I just want to say that kind of jives too. Like when I was getting started, J. A. Conrath shared on one of his blog posts, like here's how I made a hundred thousand, and it was actually he made a hundred thousand that month not that year. <laughs> and that was when I was like jaw dropping. Oh my gosh, you can make that much from indie publishing. And you, you'd see like, it was kind of like this. You'd have a lot that were only selling a few copies a day or, you know, a hundred a month or something. And then there'd be like two that would be kind of really making a lot of the money. And then that's usually how it breaks down. You'll probably find, we'll talk about it in here, kind of how the front list helps sell the back list. But uh, Andrea, why don't you get us started talking about um, why, well, we've kind of already gone into this, why being productive and producing more is helpful. Yeah, that's one of the biggest complaints I get from my clients. Uh, they're, they're like, I worked so hard on my first book or I worked so hard on my first series. Why isn't it selling better? And one of the biggest things I have to tell them is the best way to success is through writing more books. It's not just focusing on that one book or that one series, that's not going to get you long lasting success. It's going to get you possibly short term success, but we, our goal is to be productive and to produce more so that we can be more successful. And 
our earlier books, not all of them are going to be really stellar. They're going to, they're going to have weaknesses. They're going to have problems. You're going to be probably possibly disappointed to find that that first book that you publish is not the best one you're ever going to write, probably because it's the one that you put most of your heart and soul into. I know my first one was, but it eventually gets to the point where it doesn't even matter. Like what Lindsay was actually saying, if you have one book that's only making hundred dollars a month, that money adds up. And that's, that becomes a very powerful leverage, you know, when, you know, a subscription to Kalytics Elite is $100 and you are making $100 on one book, then it's easy to, you know, justify that kind of money, which is great. Anyway, so the best teacher's experience and the best way to learn is by writing. Um, Lindsay or Joe, um, Joe, I think that you had notes. You wanted to go and talk about the financial benefits of being productive. Um, are there any other basic benefits or any comments on that? Uh, yeah, on, I mean, on top of the, the obvious ways in which you're going to make more money if you're more productive, I think one of the things that gets overlooked with being productive is just finishing things. Like, it feels good to finish a book, and it can really wear on you when you haven't finished a book. I've had this happen both ways. I've, I've gotten through, I mean, I do NaNoWriMo, and I have not failed in NaNoWriMo yet. So there are months when I write a full novel, and I'm, and I'm happy with it. And then there's the novel that I have just set back down again, which has been an on-and-again, off-again project for over three years, and it, it really starts to feel like a grind. So productivity gets rid of that grindy feeling because you're always getting toward the end of a new thing, uh, of an old thing. And more to the point, you're getting to the beginning of a new thing. And if you're like me, the beginning of a new project is the most fun and the most exciting part. So if you're being productive, you're never far from the next thing. It, it keeps you focused. It keeps you sharp. And I, I just think that like that is, is a, a part of productivity that for me almost is better than the, uh, than, than the financial incentive, just because this is my job. And the more I enjoy my job, the better the result will be. So if I can keep moving forward and keep my speed up, it just, it, it's motivational and it keeps my morale going. So productivity, it, it just, it's a feedback loop that, that pays itself back again and again. Yeah, one thing I've noticed is that, like you said, starting a new project's exciting, but finishing a project is also exciting and that makes you excited to start the next project. Uh, Lindsay, what about you? Uh, just to kind of chime in on that, I, I think that a lot of writers, when you're getting started, and, and we were all the same way, you know, like I had two novels finished that were not in the same series when I first started self-publishing, and I, I was looking at Jay Conrad's stuff, like, how are we ever going to have that many books? And um, But, you know, if you keep doing it year after year, you get up there. Um, but, you know, a lot of writers, when you're getting started, it's really easy to have the, the shiny new, I don't know, shiny coin or the squirrel on the fence syndrome where you're kind of, I'm on book three of this one series, but I'm getting new ideas and I really want to jump and do a new series. And you might let yourself do that. And then you never get back to the other thing you were working on. Once you get used to finishing things, you realize, well, I just, I can just finish this series first. And that will be kind of my reward is going on to the next shiny new thing. So it's, uh, it's definitely helpful if you're someone that always has new ideas, which I think all writers are like that. And, uh, but as far as finishing things and getting it out there, um, you know, like I said, the more books you have out, the more products you have for people to buy. And I think the, the kind of the Kalytics numbers help just, you know, show that. And also the more doorways there are into your entire writing universe. I think at this point I probably have, I've at least got four big series completed and then I have some smaller like, you know, series of novellas and some, I think I might have some duologies. <laughs> That's a thing, right? And uh, also a couple series under the pen name so that if somebody comes in through the old stuff, 
you know, there's eight books that they can buy and I maybe didn't even have to market those. They just found them because they happened to come in through the front list, uh, which is uh, another thing that, like I said, um, I've found it to be true that the front list sells the back list. That's the expression. And when I've actually taken a look uh, through book report at my numbers, I'll find that in any given year, my new releases will account for about 50% of the income. And that's with me releasing eight, 10 novels a year. Uh, occasionally, I've gone as high as 12. Um, so it's not a small amount. But you, would you look at my back list is probably like 70 or something now. Uh, novels and other smaller things. And so 50% of the income will come from the new stuff, but a sizable amount, the other 50% is coming from the backlist stuff that I may or may not even be marketing. I, I you know, usually once a year, I'll try to get a, an ad on some ads on a book one of a perma-free in, in an eight book series or something. But you find that the work you do today is still selling, will still be selling 10 years from now. And that's huge. And that's what allows you to kind of bump up your income over time. And even if things get more competitive and get tougher, and we're certainly in that environment, it's still true that if you, if somebody becomes a super fan and you're, especially if all your stuff's in the same genre, which I cannot say that all mine is, but, uh, you know, like I started releasing a sci-fi series this year, I've definitely seen that more people went back and checked on my other sci-fi series uh, without necessarily doing any marketing on that. Um, also, the more series that you complete, the more, you know, things that you basically have to cycle through the, the systems for advertising for um, maybe if you can get a book bub or just the various advertising sponsorship sites out there. Um, even if you're doing something like uh, Amazon ads, you probably will find that maybe after three or four months, you're just not getting the clicks, as many clicks on the book one as you were. And it's just, a, you know, at that point, all the sci-fi whatever military sci-fi people have probably seen your ad for your military sci-fi book one. So maybe you let it go follow for a while for like a year and you have something else you can start advertising for a while. And then when you start advertising that other one again, maybe because you're doing a new book in that series or they're coming out an audiobook or something, it's almost like a brand new, something brand new to advertise because people haven't seen it for a while. Uh, lastly, if you can complete series and you don't have to do eight books, they can be duologies or trilogies. You know, it's a real selling point for some readers. Uh, many readers have gotten burned by series that were never finished. I have a couple myself that I still have to uh, finish up. I've kind of gradually been finishing up some of the older ones in between writing new ones. But you can even put that, as we were talking about on an earlier show, on the like book one. Now, this series now completed eight books. Read and binge read them right now. And, and that's a big selling point for those people who don't want to just start, like they see you only have two books out and they're kind of like, uh, you know, especially if it sounds like, it, like maybe something like Epic Fantasy where it might be eight books in the series. Yeah. You know? So it's a little easier to market a complete series. And, and like I said, the more you have, the more things you can alternate marketing and there's less likely that your potential audience is going to get burned out on seeing the ads for that same book one over and over again. That was something that actually surprised me when I first started writing. I didn't realize that there was such a thing as a, as a writer who didn't finish a series. Um, this is back in the day before you know, self-publishing was really a thing. But now my readers comment on that all the time. They're like, well, I would love to read this book, but her other series, she never finished. So I, I don't want to start the series if she's never finished, going to finish it. And, and that's actually something that's really, really big. And so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, our next thing that we want to talk about is how writing quickly. So it's a myth, basically, that writing quickly, quickly means that you're writing crap or dreck. And I just wanted to start this off by commenting. Um, people 
you say the word, the name Charles Dickens or Agatha Christie, and your first thought isn't crap, you know? And yet those two authors, along with tons of other authors like Edgar Rice Burroughs and Lester Dent and Frederick Faust, who, by the way, had tons and tons of pen names. And he wrote over a million year, words per year under one pen name for one magazine. And there's just, there's tons of authors in the past and tons of authors now who are writing millions of words a year and they're, they're very, very good books. And so just, just to say that right up front, when people say writing and releasing rapidly means that you're writing bad stuff. I mean, you're, those authors, they don't recognize that they're pretty much snubbing, you know, I mean, Charles Dickens, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, so did either of you have anything you wanted to talk about that, about on that topic? I just always find this a weird argument because one of the things that motivated me and got me to learn how to write more quickly was seeing that other people were writing more quickly. I remember when I first, you know, I think I first went full time, I was trying to write about 3000 words a day, which is perfectly respectable. You know, you're producing a, a you can write a book a month and if you can actually keep yourself to 90,000 words. Uh, and then of course editing, but I, I was super motivated because like the, I think it was a self-publishing I, the, the first one, <laughs> Johnny, Sean, and Dave, I think they've changed their name now, but um, they were talking about how they wrote their six or 7,000 before they even recorded the podcast. And I was like, oh man, that's like twice what I'm doing all day. And I was just like, well, if they can do it, I can probably do it. And then I think Rachel Aaron came out with her book, 2K to 10K, which we're going to talk about a little bit farther on. And I was like, 10K, <laughs> you know, that's a ton. I'm not getting anywhere near that. But then I was like, well, if she can do it, I can probably do it. And gradually I got up to the point where I could do 10,000 words several days in a row. And you can really write a novel quite quickly if you're doing that. So I think there's a kind of a mindset thing. Instead of thinking, oh, that must be garbage if they're writing that much, you know, you can think, well, maybe I could learn to write that much one day and maybe it won't be garbage. And I, I've certainly found that, um, like I, we'll talk about a little bit, but you kind of get it, you're more likely to get into this flow state where the words are just flowing out of you if you're able to sit down and make the time to, to write a thousand, two thousand words at a time. Uh, and if you're working full time, that may be a really good goal. Just like, hey, I got a half hour, I'm going to try to write a thousand words or 500 words. And I, I find that if you take more breaks, it's harder, you know, and that's a challenge too when you're busy. And it's, it's actually harder when you're you know, you got kids and a job and you're just getting started and trying to carve out that time. But I, I, I feel that when you get in that state where the story is just kind of pouring out of your fingers, it's playing like a movie in your head and you're not even conscious of writing the words. And when it's like that for you, you'll probably find that it's some of your good stuff and you'll do less editing later than if you're actually sitting down there and, and really struggling to get the words down. And we're going to give some tips coming on on, on how you can have it be like that for you if, if you're not there already. But I just, I want to emphasize it. It's like this, it's, it's a mindset thing. Don't pigeon your hole yourself and think that other people must be putting out junk. Um, there's people writing super fast that are putting out amazing books and there's, super, there's people writing super slow that are putting out direct. So it, it's really just about, you know, getting more experience and practicing and realizing that you can probably do more than you're doing now. We're not trying to say kill yourself. I'm a big proponent of taking breaks in between projects. That's how I like to do it. And I'm, I'm super conscious about only writing, you know, making sure I have time to exercise and walk my dogs and uh, occasionally speak to people in the outside world. Not too often. You know, I'm an introvert. I'm not that into that. But, um, you know, minding your health while you're working towards your goals. 
Uh, Joe, why don't you go ahead and share where your thoughts on this too before we kind of jump into some actionable stuff. Sure. Uh, I just want to like sort of double down on the, uh, if you're right, the stuff that you are writing most quickly is typically the stuff you're most enthusiastic about. At least, uh, again, I should speak only from my own point of view. The stuff that I write most quickly is the stuff that, that I'm most enthusiastic about. And the stuff that you're most enthusiastic about is probably the best story. So, you know, what excites you will excite other people, hopefully. Uh, so yeah, just writing quickly is a sign that what you're writing is good, at least to me. Uh, and, and oddly enough, I can't write badly quickly. Like I know that, I, that something needs work when it's, when it's taking me time and I get like, well, I have to rewrite that sentence three times to make sense. I got to get up and walk around. So like the speed at which I'm writing is an indicator of quality for me. And I'd always sort of thought that was the way it was for everyone else. But uh, uh, yeah, and also I guess just one little tag on this: when you write quickly, it doesn't mean that you just that you just drop it and go. Uh, once you're done writing qu something quickly or not, you're going through it again. So like, it's not as though you're making something that's like poorly thought out and untidy. Uh, you're going to clean it up later. Just but getting the words down quickly is is just a very strong indicator of, of enthusiasm. Yeah, I agree with that. And just a, a quick note, um, some authors are actually slow writers, not because they type slowly, but because the actual process of forming sentences takes time for them. And I know several authors who, who are that way. And my advice right here is first off, study productivity, like find, just study every single method you can come across. I mean, Rachel Aaron has her book and then Chris Fox has a couple books, I believe. And I know that there are a lot of books out there on how to be a more productive author. So study all the different methods. There might be something that will help you. And, um, you know, like knowing what you're going to be writing ahead of time, things like that. But also don't, don't worry about it. Seriously, don't stress about it. If you cannot if you can't, if you have the time and you're a fast typer, but you cannot put those words together as quickly as you'd like, uh, don't stress over that because slow and steady wins the race. It's better to do a little bit every single day than it is to start and never finish or to rush through and put together something that you're ultimately not going to be happy with. And okay, so we're going to go ahead and talk about Rachel Aaron's, um, her book a little bit about what I guess you guys say is a triangle in the 2k to 10k. I haven't read this book yet. So I'm going to let Lindsay and Joe lead this conversation here just, and then I'm going to make a footnote for me to go and read the book. <laughs> it's pretty short. And especially the, the 2k to 10k stuff is in the first, maybe third. And then she gives some general writing advice. So uh, I, I feel like it's like 10, 299 or something in the bookstore. So not too expensive if people want to pick it up. And I also wanted to, what you were just saying, add on that, of course, we're probably not, if it's your first novel and you're listening to this and you're like, well, oh, I don't know if I can write that fast. Don't, don't worry about it. You know, I, I'm famous for saying it took me seven years to do my first novel. And that's because I was writing, submitting chapter by chapter into a workshop. And I was learning as I got feedback. And, you know, I think with your first probably say five novels, it's very much you're learning still as a writer. And maybe that's not the time yet to just really go for speed. I mean, I guess you can still, because if you finish it quickly, you can learn more quickly and get feedback from people more quickly. But it's okay early on when you're just learning the ropes. I always I do my skiing analogy. Anybody who skied, you may remember when you were first learning and you, like you did your first blue run, and it takes you like a half hour to get down the slope, and you fall ten times on your butt, and you're like, "Oh, this is the horriblest thing ever. Who does this for fun?" 
but then you take some lessons and you, by the end of the season, you're just whipping down that same run in like two minutes and you're not falling and it's just you're cruising along and you're ready for harder stuff. So that's with anything. Writing's the same as anything. It, it takes practice, especially in the beginning. Practice with um, helpful feedback. Because I think, you know, you hear that advice like, I'm just, just write your first million words. But unless you're getting like feedback from others and some editing and an instruction in there, just writing by itself doesn't really help you improve. You need that. You kind of need somebody tearing your stuff apart and telling you the things that you cannot see in your own work. And, um, but we can talk about critiquing and workshops in another show. <laughs> Let's talk about Rachel Aaron's 2K to 10K. And when I read this, I, it was probably maybe five, six years ago, I, you know, I think I kind of knew these things, but it was nice to have her put it down in words. Uh, she mentions, like I said, the triangle. There's kind of three components that how, uh, the premise is basically that she became a full-time writer, but she found she was still only getting maybe 2,000 words a day out. And her goal was to like, you know, she was also like a mom with young kids uh, trying to figure out how she could be really efficient in the time when her kids were at daycare. And she wanted to get to the point where she's just writing like 10,000 words and that those, I don't remember how many hours it was. But she found that the first part of the triangle, the first thing that she had to improve was um, knowledge. And uh, by that, I mean knowing what you're going to write before you sit down and start writing. She mentions that she took a few minutes at the beginning of the day to outline what she was going to write that day. And I, I'm the same way. Like, I have to, there's no point in me being at the keyboard until I know what's going to happen in the scene. So I, that's sort of like when I'm walking my dogs, it's a good time to figure out the next scene or um, on the treadmill at the gym or, you know, I, I'm not sure it's safe, but driving, I don't know, something about that sort of just motion of staying between the lines and that's all you have to do. It seems like a good time to think of plot points, whether, whether that's the best time or not. Um, so that's been really helpful for me. That's what I do is before I sit down, because if you just sit down and you don't know what happens next, that's when it starts taking a long time. So just, I would say, get off the computer, go figure out what's gonna happen in the scene and then get back and write the scene. Uh, Joe, do you do you do this, and you have anything you want to share on that? Uh, yeah, uh, one of the first, one of the biggest changes to my writing uh, process when I started using Scrivener, which is what I do all my writing, what I do most of my writing in, uh, was the addition of thumbnailed scenes. Like in Scrivener, you, you can basically emulate writing stuff down on an index card and sticking it on a bullet board. And uh, my old outlines were outlines. It was the sort of thing you'd find in, in, a, in a textbook where it's just bullet points with sub-bullet points and so on and so forth. And that, that is still how I outline. But working from that outline and then putting it into scenes was kind of messy for me. I had to keep on going back and finding my spot. And once I realized that I could just have a little scene-by-scene -scene thumbnail thing, uh, it helped me in a number of ways. First off, I, I know sitting down, I got a nice big paragraph of description that I'm going to work from that, that I can expand into a scene. Number two, I learned over the course of the, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit later about like analyzing what you do, but I learned that my average scene is about 1200 words. That's roughly where I land when I, when I set out to write a scene. So I can, I can plan out my day's writing just by looking at how many scenes that I've got ahead. Like, Oh, well, I want to get about 3000 words written. So I should do at least three scenes. Uh, uh, and that'll, that'll comfortably get me there. So that sort of thing was super duper useful. But also as, as Lindsay says, like I can't, I don't come up with new ideas during a write. Well, I do come up with new ideas during a writing session, but like, 
if I don't know where I'm going at the beginning of a writing session, I get up and I walk around in circles in the room and I like juggle or do something with my hands just so I can get myself on track. Because as soon as I hit a thing that I don't know, uh, it, dis it derails my writing flow. So super duper important for me to know, it, not like I'm not going to have the exact dialogue that's going to be spoken because that's what writing is, is coming up with that stuff. But knowing the beginning, middle and end of a scene and what the next scene will be and like well, the, the, the through line that I have to make, it just makes it super duper fast. It's almost like you're not writing. It's almost like, well, I don't have to figure anything out except for what's happening. <laughs> and I don't know why, but for me, that's, that's, that's just lubrication for, for words. Even if you're a dyed in the wool pantser, and we'll talk a little bit that about outlining in the next section two, um, I think you'll find it useful to just get this, the scenes you're going to write that day, take a minute and figure out what they're going to be before you sit down and start writing. Andrea, did you want to chime in on that? Or do you have any thoughts or should we just kind of continue through covering the book stuff without you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just let's just not talk with me. <laughs> just You're just Joe. banned. <laughs> you didn't uh, write I, the homework. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I want to see you juggle. Are you like literally juggling? Yeah, I actually juggle. There's just balls that's, back there. That's that's cool. So one of these days we're going to do like a YouTube episode where you juggle. <laughs> Okie doke. Anyway, um, so I agree with that. Knowing where you're going before you start is very important. And so for like for me, my day starts with chaos, with the kids needing to be fed and everything. And so what I found is knowing the night before, like setting up the night before my to-do list and then the scenes that I want to write. And then while I'm working around the kids and getting them breakfast and things like that, I found that thinking about it um, and, and constantly refreshing my brain over what I'm going to be writing that day really, really does help. And yes, especially like driving, I, it's, it's like that repetitive, like Lindsay was saying, that repetitive motion and things like that, that actually helps me brainstorm. So yeah, that's, that's my little two bits there. The shower seems to be an excellent place for all writers that I know too. So if you're getting naked, yeah, hop in there with your notepad and just stare and let the water run until it gets cold and plot your story out. All right, next on the triangle is time. And she mentioned that um, she suggests spending a couple of weeks taking notes about your productivity, like how many words you're getting, uh, you know, like write for a couple hours in the morning, write in the afternoon, write in the evening, if these are possible, write at home uh, versus writing maybe in a coffee shop. And just kind of record, like how many, you know, words did you get down during and in what time? And because what she found was that the hours she thought she would be most productive didn't actually end up being the time she thought she would be most productive. And I know I, I don't consider myself a morning person. I'm like, uh, you know, I have my coffee and just like sit here on the phone, do, 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 check Facebook, you know, or read. Uh, I like to read in the morning and then go out with the dogs and then have breakfast. And by the time I get going, it's like 11. But I, I found that when I'm actually trying to do like 10,000 word days, if I, I can actually just pull the laptop in there, have my coffee, start writing, I can get to the first 2,000 words done pretty quickly. And it's just a little bit easier when I sit down again at 11 after doing whatever dog walks, exercise stuff, that um, it's a little easier already having that first chunk done. And I'm quite efficient for a non-morning person. It seems to come out pretty quickly. And maybe it's just everything's still kind of quiet at that time of day. And I, I know a lot of writers who end up getting up really early. If you are still full-time at your regular job and have a family, sometimes <laughs> getting up at 4.30 to me as a non-morning person, that sounds insane. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that can be some quiet time you can carve out for yourself. 
but yeah, check. Um, don't assume. Some people are like amazing at 1 a.m. 1 p.m. When when is the time after midnight? I believe it's 1 a.m. <laughs> you know, some people are amazing then, and I actually I can be really good then too because I like I'm trying to go to bed and you know if I've left 2,000 words that I still have to do I'm like oh I got to just get this done I I hate not making my goals so uh, what do you what do you guys have you experimented with that at all and are you would you find uh, yeah, this this can actually be super counterintuitive. I am absolutely not a morning person. Like if I had my druthers, I'd be going to sleep at 4 a.m. some nights. So like basically the way that I am as a writer or the way I expected to be as a writer is the way I was during summer when I was in, in, in school, which was basically, you know, I wasn't waking up until noon. Uh, so I'd expected that's just the way I would eventually uh, settle down into. But I discovered that I write literally twice as many words before lunch as I write after lunch. Like if I, if all things being equal, if I do two hours of writing in the morning and two hours of writing after lunch, the, the two hours of writing in the morning is going to have twice as many words. And I don't know why. So uh, for me, it's a constant struggle to make sure I wake up early enough to have a really good writing day. I never would have thought that was the case if I hadn't been paying attention. But like, you know, so if I let myself goof off and I don't start writing until 9.30 or 10 o'clock, I'm going to have a bad day. If I get straight to writing and I, uh, I, could, I could have literally my 3,000 words written by the time I started writing the previous day. I don't know what it is about mornings, but for me, they're super productive. Uh, it can be a struggle because, again, I'm not a morning person. It was, it was never my intention. I have two alarms set and I, I turn them both off. You know, like I wake up at I wake up at seven o'clock, and I'm like, no, not not today. And then eight o'clock goes, and I'm like, e not today. And then I like eventually I just guilt myself into getting up five minutes after that. But it's one of those where it's just like uh, uh, I have to sit down at my computer. If I'm not writing by nine a.m., I'm not hitting my my quota that day, no matter how much I streamline it. So yeah, actually keep track of what your writing stuff is like because it, it might surprise you. So I'm sensing a theme here <laughs> because yeah. I am a morning person and my most productive times are not the morning. <laughs> there you go. I'm serious. I mean, I'm, I like to be up around seven in the morning, which is not super early for a morning person, but you know, it gives me a little bit of time to be up before the kids are up for a couple of minutes. And, but I've found that that is not my most productive time. I don't, I don't understand that, but talking, I'm listening to you guys. It kind of makes sense. My most productive times are around 10 to 10 and 11 a.m. and again around 8 or 9 p.m. which by that point with kids I'm so exhausted you know but I'm it's like I've got everything else off my slate so I'm finally ready to focus on my book again and so I get a lot of good you know productivity productive stuff done during those times which is my least my least favorite times are like the traditional siesta times you know between 1 and 3 p.m. I'm like dragging so bad but i've actually found for those times because i know that there are people who that's pretty much the only time they'll have to write um making sure you're in a place where you're not warm and making sure that you're not over full you're not hungry either and that you have like gum to chew on or something like that can really help to fight that that siesta <laughs> urge <laughs> i think also she mentioned uh rachel aaron in her book that like she maybe would have a three or four hour block of time where her kids were at daycare and she'd find that the first hour she might only get like 500 words down and it really took her some time to get into that flow state and start being more productive. And then that's, I think that's important too, worth measuring and taking note of because there's a lot of, um, what is it? I think we're even going to talk about the Pomodoro method where it's like 
do 25 minutes and take a five minute break. But you may find that it takes you 25 minutes and then you're just starting to get going. I, I usually say I'm going to try for like 2000 words. And that's for me, usually about an hour. Like if I'm really, if it's coming out easily, I might be a little faster. And if it's um, kind of dialogue, which I love to write, but also it's a, a little more care taken into each sentence word, you know, figuring out the banter, that can be a little bit slower. But for me, I'd, I've, I would have a hard time just doing 25 minutes and then taking a break. So I, I do take breaks. I'm definitely a big fan of breaks, but for me, they're more like every hour or so. Uh, and if I'm in that flow state, I, I, I usually make myself take a break because I know my body will re regret it if I don't. But um, for me, I like longer than the 25 minutes. And so you may time yourself and find, figure out, like, am I really productive in that time? Or, uh, and it's possible you can train yourself to be more productive in that time too. Or you may just find that with some stories and, and some scenes, they really start flowing out of your fingers right away. And other times you kind of need to warm up and get into it. So one, just a quick note on that. Um, you're talking about, you know, taking a break and things like that. What I, one thing I found with my writing and with studying when I was in college, if I will force myself or push myself to do 40 minutes of work, then I, then I let myself take 20 minutes of a break. So what I did, what I did in college. And then when I was first writing before I had kids was I would do 20 minutes of a house episode or something like that. And then I would go back to work and that, that was enough of a break for my brain to refresh. And nowadays I just, I go and feed the kids because they like food. <laughs> they sound kind of pushy to be honest. <laughs> they want food. <laughs> Every morning they want it. Every morning. It's not just the mornings either. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> Once a day. <laughs> wow. Okay. So the next thing that Rachel mentioned, the third point of the triangle is enthusiasm. And this is realizing that the words are going to flow out more quickly when you're really excited about a scene and the point she made is that if you're not excited about a scene, there's a problem. The reader's not going to be excited either. And I, I think we don't realize this as writers. We're like, well, I just have to write the scene because the plot says that this happens and it has to happen before I can write this other scene that I'm more excited about. So that one scene becomes a slog. And I, I have to do this myself too. I'm like, if something's not really seeming fun I have to think about like well what can I do what can I add to this scene that would make it more interesting is it you know do I need to have like this antagonistic conflict between a couple of the characters or do they just need to be working something out in the conversation while we're fighting these bad guys <laughs> you know father and son are having their moment together because that's the kind of things I really enjoy is sort of the character interaction and growth things so what do you really enjoy? And if a scene is a slog, man, can you figure out how to not make it that? Do you even need the scene? I would ask yourself that first. I think beginning writers do a lot of travel scenes <laughs> where you realize I can just have a scene break and I don't really need to show the covered wagon going all the way to the other state, you know, if, if nothing's happening, you know, plot significant during that time. So I enthusiasm to me of all the three things, I think that's the biggest thing uh, that helps the most. It's just, you're, even if you're excited about your next shiny idea, find things in the, the scenes and chapters you're working on and the rest of the book to continue to be enthusiastic. And I think that will also come through to the readers. They'll, they'll enjoy reading those scenes a lot more. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is something that I, that I also learned early on. Uh, uh, when I started outlining uh, for a while, again, I would, it was very blocks of text with indents and bullet points and all that good stuff. Uh, and I started to realize that like, if you just had a sentence of the thing that you were going to do, 
uh, and that was what your your outline was like that's where you built your outline out of uh, that was important for two reasons one uh, it was a quick sharp thing and it was you know that, that it, when you sometimes less is more when it comes to getting yourself started but second if you have a just a one sentence thing of what you're going to do in a scene it means something is happening in that scene <laughs> which is uh, something that you might not have done otherwise you're like oh well they have to get there from it like you say travel uh, but speaking of enthusiasm the second like Basically, the second, the first real thing I did that wasn't like a lifelong project that I decided to clean up into a book was a novella called Jade. And uh, I had written the first one just over the course of many, many, many years and revised and reworked and everything. And I wanted Jade to be quick. So it was written as a series of scenes that I just really wanted to write. It was like almost a clip show of like, oh, here's a cool thing that could happen between these two characters. And here's another cool thing I could do. And uh, so basically, it's a 40,000 word novella and probably... 30,000 words are those scenes that I was super excited about, but they weren't connected at all. So when I finally got to a scene, which I would call the climax, and I had all these arranged in the order I wanted, they still didn't make any sense because there were necessary in-between events to connect them. Uh, so then I wrote the connector events, and it was sort of the framing story. Uh, uh, I wrote that last, but because I had written all of the exciting, interesting, fascinating, fun scenes first, those last 10,000 words took three times as long as the, as the, uh, basically, it, yeah, it was the, basically the whole process over again, because I wasn't enthusiastic about any of the scenes in those 10,000 words. And if I had just planned it better, uh, if I had, if I had, you know, combined the connector scenes to the exciting scenes, or any other way to sort of uh, homogenize the excitement for myself, even even if I even if I ignore the reader for a second, it would have been a much faster process. So, uh, yeah, the the enthusiasm is just the fuel for a writing session, and the more of it that you have, the faster the writing session goes, the more words come out in that writing session, and frankly, the better the pace of the, the story is, the more interesting the story is to the reader. Enthusiasm is definitely the, the, the strongest leg in this triangle. Yeah, no, what they both said, seriously, and again, like what Rachel's saying, if you're excited about something, you're gonna wanna write it, and passion for a book in the author does lead to excitement and passion in, uh, for a book in the reader, and if you're bored, you need to find a reason to write that scene. But there, there is a point, I think every author comes to the point where they're not excited to work on something. And so even if you were previously excited for a scene, um, it, that excitement can, can be dampened a little bit. But I have noticed that my favorite scenes to write are my favorite ones to edit as well. The problem is, is not every scene is going to have that same level of excitement. And you're going to have to slog your way through a couple of things here and there. And so... I've discovered that that's generally where my source of writer's block comes from is when I reach a scene where it's like, there's a dilemma I don't know how to work through, or I know it's going to require a lot of work and I just, my brain goes lazy. It doesn't want to actually do that work. And so I found to avoid that, I have to look at that scene from a different angle. So find a way for their characters to get out of their dilemma in a way that delights me, or just recognize that my brain's being lazy and force myself to actually do the work. <laughs> I've, uh, I often struggle with uh, the climactic end battle stuff. I'm kind of an action adventure writer in, within the fantasy sci-fi group, but it's funny because the things I love are the character interactions, but in order to have these meaningful conversations, obviously, you know, not obviously, but often it's like 
as a result of like this epic battle or you know these struggles that the characters are going through are what lead them to bond and have these relationships and moments with each other but my beta readers always know when like i'm getting towards the end i'll be like i think i'm going to skip ahead and write the epilogue today. <laughs> like oh you must have a battle scene to write uh you know and i'll do my best to to put enough dialogue in there to keep it interesting or to just make some kind of quirky things happen in there but that's for me and it's funny how different writers will have different things like I love the beginnings you know usually the first two-thirds of the novel I, I can really bulldoze through it and get it out and then you know the end is where I slow down a little bit I know other writers that are like the end it's coming it's wonderful I'm and then just like I'm gonna do 20,000 words today I'm like good on you man I'm not that excited about my end except for the epilogue which is always the fun little character quirky stuff which I so those are my treats you know like I'll do this action scene and then I'll skip ahead and write you know a scene in the epilogue all right so just to kind of sum up those three things because we're gonna end this show and pick up on outlining editing and uh some other important thing <laughs> in the second half of our productivity show we've got it outlined but I don't have the outline in front of me but uh, just a reminder from Rachel's triangle, uh, if you two want to go from 2,000 words a day to 10 a day, or maybe from 500 to 1,000, whatever is uh, feasible, the first thing is knowledge, knowing what you're going to write before you start writing it. Time, realizing when you're the most productive and taking uh, advantage of that. Uh, and maybe that means taking a couple weeks and recording first and figuring out, because it may be a surprise to you. You may find you're more productive at one time of the day that you didn't expect since it sounds like we all are productive in our least favorite times of day. Uh, and then the last thing is enthusiasm. If you're finding you're not enthusiastic about a scene and it's a slog, you know, step back and think about what can I alter here to add a little bit, make it a little more exciting. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts before we end this episode? Um, no, nothing that I, I would just be stepping on my future points if I said something now. All right. No teasers then for the last episode. And Andrea, actually, did you want to lead us out on this one? Yeah. Um, just, uh, yeah, there are a lot of books that are really fascinating and are really good for productivity. So Chris Fox has a couple that are out and that story bundle, the, um, what is it called? Storybundle.com forward slash nano has a ton of books that are really beneficial for every single level of, of authors and, and your career and things like that. And so I do recommend going and looking at that one. I know that Chris Fox has his 5K, his 5,000 words an hour book in it. And so that one's worth grabbing that bundle for. Anyway, so yeah, we're going to go ahead and tie up this episode and take a break and record the next one because <laughs> I'm going to be in the master business class this week. So yeah, thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed our show. We would like to thank Joshua Pearson. That's my brother, by the way, for those who are wondering what, what the heck this Pearson thing is all about uh, for helping us produce this show and Stephanie Nealon for putting the show notes together. And if you are so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have questions for a future Q and a episode or just comments or questions in general, go to sixfigureauthors.com and that's six, the number six. And we would love to hear from you and we will talk to you all later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye everybody.